You may be seated. It's a, it's a big honor to be able to introduce to those of you who have not yet met him. Uh, this is the Reverend David Sandifer and his wife, Kathy. He's right up here wave, Kathy. Um, David was part of this congregation for many years. He's, uh, what, the second generation to be a part of this? And yeah, sort of. Yeah. Anyway, so there's history, but he's been a world traveler in the in the kingdom of Jesus. But he's here today to preach and um, to to speak with us. So, brother, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Okay, and may the Lord, uh, Lord, may His words be pleasing in your sight, and may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. Uh, well, it's really, really wonderful to be with you uh, today. It's been uh, five years since we've been here as a family, and it does feel uh, like a homecoming in, in many ways, and it feels like coming home. So uh, we're just very, very excited. It's wonderful to see all the familiar faces. It's wonderful to see all the unfamiliar faces as well. Um, so uh, just really great to be with you, and thank you, Brooke, for Thank you for for welcoming me here so warmly and uh, for giving me this opportunity to open God's word together. I also want to bring you greetings from my father. Some of you know my dad, Earl Sandifer, and he asked very specifically that I greet the whole church on his behalf. Um, In the passage we just heard from in Romans, uh, we heard this verse in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Advent is the time, as we just heard, of preparation. And preparation means hope, doesn't it? It means looking forward to that which is to come. Uh, Hope is one of the big three of uh, our faith in Christ, faith, hope, and love, you remember, Paul enumerates in First uh, Corinthians 13 as the three things that remain. It's sometimes even used as a kind of summary of what we are as Christians. In Ephesians 1.18, he talks about the hope to which he's called you. We were called to hope. Uh, nothing is more basic, you could argue, in our Christian life than hope. Nothing is more foundational. Uh, when our hope is shaken, then our whole life is shaken. And nothing, therefore, is more important than being renewed in our hope um, day by day. And that means that nothing is more dangerous than losing our sense of hope. And yet I think if we're honest, all of us can say that sometimes we struggle to hope. (laughs) We know what we're meant to hope in. We know what our hope is meant to be. And yet we can struggle in our hope. Anybody ever been there in your walk with Christ? So how do we renew our hope in this time of preparation and in all times as Christians? Well, I think one aspect is to meditate on that hope and to recall the nature of it. And that's what um, I propose that we do for a few minutes this morning. And I just want to bring out three sort of core truths. The first is that our hope is in Christ alone. Our hope is in Christ alone. In the passage, we just heard a wonderful, amazing passage from Isaiah Chapter 11. Uh, we have this, this amazing description of the new order of things, uh, which is introduced by the one who is to come, the Savior. And it, it begins 
with this description, the wolf will live, uh, will lie down with the lamb, the, le- the leopard with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. The, a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will be, will lie down. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. You might need a new set of teeth to do that. I don't know how that'll work exactly. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. The infant will play with the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand in the viper's nest. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's an amazing picture of this new order. Everything is transformed. But notice, this isn't just kind of a general prophecy of what God will do. It's only because of the one who will come. This this transition, the first five verses describing this one who will come. And then just sort of abruptly, and it's going to look like this once he comes. Only because of him. It's because a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. It's because from his roots a branch will bear fruit. It's because the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Ultimately, it's because of his coming and his work of salvation All the rest follows. People hope in all kinds of things. They say to be alive is to hope. But we fix our hope sometimes on things that aren't worthy of our hope. I was in the Mandarin Public Library yesterday and I saw a sign and it kind of threw me off a little bit. It said, reading, it's our only hope. With all due respect to the Mandarin Public Library, reading is not our only hope. I'm all for reading, mind you. (laughs) But if that was our only hope, we'd be in trouble. No, if our hope is in anything other than the Lord Jesus, we're ultimately going to be disappointed. And it's very easy, isn't it, to sort of do a switcheroo, to begin hoping in other things. So we need to be clear what we're talking about when we speak of hope. In the biblical sense, some of you might think it's ironic a little bit that I'm talking about hope because you might remember me as a single guy uh, through my 20s and through my 30s and into my 40s. And some of you knew that I was hoping to be married. Some of you were praying for me to find a wife in God's perfect timing. He sent me my wonderful wife, Kathy, for which I'm very thankful. Um, So that was a hope that was fulfilled. Um, But the hope that we have is not really like that because it would have been possible for me to stay single my whole life. I'm so thankful that that's not what God's purpose was for me, but it is God's purpose for some people and it might have been his purpose for me and God would have still been good and faithful had it been, right? My ultimate hope is not that I, my hope was not that I would be married. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ because It's not just a wish, as we sometimes think of hope, for something that would be nice. What we're talking about in the words of the funeral service, which I'm sure many of us have heard many many times, is a sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Much more than just a desire or a wish. It's a confident, joyful expectation of the good which is yet to come. This kind of hope, which is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian, really, I think one way to think about it is it's a fundamental response to the way the world 
is. It's a kind of ultimate judgment that we make on the nature of the world. Plato, philosopher Plato, said that people should have hope because the good, the true, and the beautiful transcends the earthly reality. I suppose there's a measure of hope in that. But as Christians, (laughs) we have a much greater hope than that. We hope because God is our hope. Because he has revealed his own nature to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Titus 3, 4 puts it like this. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. And then it ends that section by saying, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. His goodness and kindness appeared to us in our salvation in Christ. So we have this hope which defines us. It's the opposite of cynicism, isn't it? Cynicism is an ultimate negative judgment about reality. And Christians take just the opposite stance. No matter how hard or how bad it gets, ultimately, we have hope. It's going to be great in the end through our Lord Jesus. It's a verdict on reality. And it's a hope, as I say, that's only in the Lord Jesus and what he accomplished in his death and resurrection. Our hope is not that we will be healthy or wealthy or married or having children or grandchildren or anything like that. Not that some long-held desire will come to pass. It's not that as Christians we will retake the secular culture that's going downhill in a hurry. (laughs) It's not where our hope lies. Hope is not that Orthodox Anglicans will win the day. (laughs) Not even that our particular church will grow and thrive. These are all good and godly things that we should pray for, seek the Lord for, but they're not where our hope lies. Our hope is in Christ alone. Secondly, we hope for our future. Again, uh, go back to that passage, Isaiah 11, where we're given that amazing description. The wolf and the lamb lying down together, the young uh, playing with the, with the viper, and this amazing picture of a future that's completely unlike ours, where everything is at peace and where this beautiful new order is introduced. But it raises a question, doesn't it? Because you think, well, hold on. This is meant to happen when this one comes who's promised. But he came 2,000 years ago. Children aren't playing with vipers, right? It's not like this yet. And so it becomes apparent really quickly that there's something yet to come, right? We live in the already and the not yet. There's more to come. We await. The consummation of our salvation. We've received it, but we're also waiting. That's the sort of the the Advent posture, isn't it? We've received, but we look forward. We wait. Romans 8 puts it like this. We wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we don't yet have... We wait for it patiently. Does this sound a bit like pie in the sky by and by? Well, it kind of is in a way, isn't it? (laughs) It kind of is. 
We hope for what we don't yet have. We've cast all our hope on that. The content of our hope, the heart of it, is something which is in the future. Not that there aren't real joys and real blessings and the fellowship with Christ and his, his companionship and his forgiveness and all the wonderful blessings that we have as we walk with Christ in this world. But there is something more to come. <laughs> and our hope is fixed there. I remember some years ago hearing Marshall Labar. Some of you know Marshall Labar, uh, who's married to our bishop, uh, Neil Labar. I remember her, um, uh, I'm not sure if she calls it preaching, but she was preaching. Uh, <laughs> And, and she said, um, the thing we have to understand is that Christianity, the Christian faith is kind of like a ledger. But the last column of the ledger is hidden. <laughs> it only balances out in the last column. And we don't see the last column yet. And without the last column, it doesn't add up. Well, that's our lives now. It doesn't quite add up yet. Ah, but there's a last column. <laughs> That's where our hope is fixed. And Christianity just doesn't make sense without the hope of heaven. That's why Paul is pretty explicit about it, isn't he? He said, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all the most to be pitied. It doesn't work out in this life. There's more. And, and you know what? Our disappointments in this life, and we all have them, our disappointments don't weaken our hope in heaven. They validate it. They validate it. You see, every longing, every yearning, and every pining is like a giant signpost that God has planted in our souls, pointing us, bright, shining signposts saying, there's more. You were made for something more. Yes, be dissatisfied in this world. It ain't enough. It's not what you were made for. The promise of heaven represents the validation of our deepest intuitions about how things really are. God has placed eternity in our hearts. And we're dissatisfied with anything less. See, our, our, our earthly lives are either much less than we hope for, or else in Christ they're much more than we can ever see this side of heaven. That's why we're constantly reminded in the scriptures to set our minds on the things above. Set our hearts on the things above. Look there. You're living down here. That's right. Be faithful here. Set your minds and your thoughts up there in Christ where you're already seated at his right hand. It's not true that people who are too heavenly minded are of no earthly good. <laughs> Just the other way around. They're the only ones that are of any earthly good. You can't be too heavenly minded. And the hope of heaven is also the motivation for missions and for evangelism. Someone I know who was pastoring a church in Australia, when he began at his church, he was asked by one of the members, well, what's your vision for the church? And he answered, a great multitude from every tribe and nation and language gathered before the throne of God. And the guy looked at him and frowned and said, yeah, yeah, but what's your vision for us? And he said, a great multitude from every tribe and nation and language gathered before the throne of God. I'm not saying it's wrong to have vision statements. I don't know if there's a vision statement here, but whatever your 
vision, that's, that's fine, but remember that there's one big vision. Because there's only one hope. Our hope is in Christ alone. We hope because of our future. And thirdly, we hope in our present. We hope in our present. Now. Even now. Uh, Because our hope is in Christ, and because we know our future, well, that transforms our present. And we have hope in the present. And And it's not only, I think sometimes Christians act as though, well, we just have to bear and grin it, you know, kind of get through this life. And one day, then it'll all be okay. It's not like that. There's some truth to that, but it's not the whole picture. It's also that we trust that God is at work in all things, even now in our lives, in every circumstance, in every part of our lives. This is what's known as the doctrine of God's providence. And friends, it is a wonderful doctrine that is an anchor for the soul to know that God is sovereign and provident over the whole world and over our lives. And we can trust him. He's providentially working all things according to his perfect purposes. Do you believe that? It's one of the things I find that today many Christians are doubting. I think it's one of the doctrines we have to repeat to ourselves and remind ourselves of again and again. I recently came across someone by the name of Bart Campolo. Some of you may remember Tony Campolo, wrote quite a few books in the 80s and 90s. His son uh, renounced his faith a few years ago, had been a minister, renounced his faith. He's now, last I heard, he was a secular humanist chaplain at at the UCLA in California. But I saw an interview with him, and, and we were asking, well, how did you come to lose your faith? And basically he said, well, well, I realized that one by one I stopped believing core Christian doctrines until I realized that I didn't believe any of them, <laughs> so I wasn't a Christian. But he said, the first one to go was the belief in God's providence, that there's a rhyme and a reason and a purpose in all that we see in this world. He said, I just couldn't believe that anymore. And then he said, and in my experience, people who lose their faith, that's usually the first doctrine to go. So hear what God's word says, brothers and sisters, and find hope. Proverbs 19:21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Ephesians 1:11. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It doesn't mean that humans don't make mistakes or don't do evil things or that there aren't real consequences. But even these things, God is able to weave into his purposes. And he will do that. I love that wonderful story in, in Genesis uh, story of, Gen- of, of Joseph. And you have that climactic moment where he meets his brothers in Genesis 45. And, and they asks forgiveness for what they've done to him. And he says, it was not you, but God sent me here. Well, they did send him. It was their fault. It was a horrible thing they did. But he saw God's providence. And then he said, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. And and that can be like a banner over our lives if we walk with Jesus. Whatever people mean for evil, God means for good. He will use it for good if we yield to him and walk with him. 
All things in this world, even the bad things, are being used by God to accomplish his good purposes. And it's not just that God somehow mitigates it, that he sort of makes lemonade out of lemons, but that even those things which are bad and ill-intentioned are also foreknown by him and allowed by him and woven into his perfect plan. And the cross is the ultimate example of that, isn't it? The most evil act ever done by human beings in, in history to crucify the Son of God. But it was also God's perfect plan that he used for the redemption of the world. And so for us, as those who know the Lord Jesus and who walk with him, um, this is a great comfort and a great hope, knowing that God's providence covers all. And, And there's a further dimension for us who know the Lord, which applies in a special way to the Christian. Um, The fact that God is controlling all things and ultimately bringing all things together for his good purposes actually doesn't mean in every single individual's life that everything's ultimately going to go well. We know that that's not the case. The Bible never teaches, it's not Pollyanna, right? The Bible never teaches that eventually everything will go well for each and every person. In fact, it teaches that for some, it eventually will go wrong. But it's exactly what it does teach for the person who's put their hope and faith in Christ, who belongs to him. Romans 8:28. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. All things. They're not good in themselves necessarily, but they work together for good. So for the Christian providence isn't just a general belief that God orders all things cosmically somehow to a good end. That's true. But it's a very personal and individual promise that as we follow the Lord Jesus and commit our lives to him, God is working in every single circumstance in our lives for our ultimate good and his glory. So whatever our life story is, this is true if we follow the Lord Jesus. And all of us have things that have happened to us where we can't help but wonder, what if it had happened differently? What if that hadn't happened? Or what if I hadn't done this? Or what if I hadn't made this decision? We all ask those questions, don't we? So what we can find comfort and refuge and hope in is that God is in it all. Nothing is accidental. Nothing just happens. Even if it seems there's no meaning to it, God is in it. And there's no use comparing our lives to others. (laughs) which we all tend to do, don't we? God is working his perfect plan in each of us. Some of you know that um, I have a heart condition. About six years ago, I was diagnosed with a very serious, incurable heart condition. It's terminal, unless God does does something miraculous or unless medicine improves. What I believe with all my heart is that this wasn't just some bad thing that happened and that, well, God will help me get through it. No, what I believe is that before I was born, God knew that I would develop pulmonary hypertension. And he could have stopped it if he'd wanted to, but he didn't. And instead, it's now part of his good purpose in my life. All of my life up until that point had been leading up to that, and all of it will be woven together to God's perfect end. That's what his providence means. What is that perfect end in my life? I don't know. Maybe he'll heal me. Pray for that. Maybe I'll die in just a few years. We pray against that. (laughs) 
but it could happen, right? And maybe I'll live many more years with this disease, but you know what? Whichever it is, it will be part of his good purpose and not accidental. It will be part of his good providential plan for my life and for my family's life. It's not that we don't have regrets. Not that we don't make mistakes. We make plenty. Rather, it's that we know that because our lives belong to the Lord, then as we follow him and seek to do his will, even our mistakes are used by God to work out his perfect will in us and through us. Well, this is what God's providence means, and it's why we can have hope in our present. So, brothers and sisters, we do truly have a sure and certain hope. Sure, certain hope. So as we celebrate another season of Advent, I pray that we might be renewed in that hope each day. A hope that is in Christ alone. A hope that is because of our future. And a hope that is in our present, even now, in whatever circumstances we face. And also, I pray in the words of 1 John 3.3 that each of us who has this hope would purify themselves. John says, each of us who has this hope purifies themselves just as he is pure. So we seek to live holy lives set apart for him because the hope that we have is what defines us. It's who we are. It goes to the core of our being. The Savior who is worthy of our hope is also worthy of our complete trust and devotion and love. Just going to close with a little poem that Amy Carmichael, the wonderful missionary, early part of the 20th century, wrote. She was racked with pain for many years as she continued to serve the Lord in India. It's one of her poems. Will not the end explain the crossed endeavor, earnest purpose foiled, the strange bewilderment of good work spoiled, the clinging weariness, the inward strain? Will not the end explain? Meanwhile, he comforteth them that are losing patience. Tis his way. But none can write the words they hear him say for men to read. Only they know he saith kind words and comforteth. Not that he doth explain the mystery that baffleth, but a sense husheth the quiet heart. That far, far hence lieth a field set thick with golden grain, wedded in seedling days by many a rain. The end, it will explain. Amen.